This is Hebrews chapter 11, verses 4 to 7. Hear now God's holy, infallible, and inerrant word. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. So ends God's word. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you that you speak to us through your word. We ask that your spirit would be with us to be able to hear your voice this morning through your word. We, uh, we desire to grow in our faith. We desire to know what faith looks like. We desire to please you. And so we pray that you would work this faith through us even this morning and that you would help us to have this faith in Christ our Savior. We pray these things in his name. Amen. You may be seated. Eric Little was the subject of the 1981 Best Picture Chariots of Fire. Born in China to Scottish missionary parents, Little eventually became a missionary to China, but he was also a world-class sprinter. Back when he was in university, he was known as the fastest man in Scotland. And Little's claim to fame was in the 1924 Olympic Games held in Paris, he opted not to run in the race that he had trained for, the 100 meter, because it fell on a Sunday. Instead, he chose to run in a different event, the 400 meter race, which he ended up winning. Uh, but the iconic moment in the movie is uh, an exchange between Little and his sister, who is chastising him for pursuing his training with running at the expense of a pursuit to ministry. And Little turns to her and he says, I know that God has made me for a purpose, but he has also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. And beloved, wouldn't it be wonderful to feel God's pleasure in whatever you do throughout the week? each and every week, with the things that you do, with the work of your hands and the meditation of your heart, to feel the warm embrace of the Almighty God and to know that he is pleased with you. And isn't it true that our perception of God's demeanor towards us, even our doubt of that is what keeps us away from drawing near to him, as though we feel his scorn or, you know, looking at us sideways, as though he's not fully approved of the things that are in our hearts and the things that we do. 
uh, in our, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, our first question, uh, which we know very well, it asks the question, what is the chief end of man, or what is the man's primary purpose? And the answer is man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. But one famous preacher once said, we could say this a lot, sh a lot more simply, our primary purpose is to please God. And when we please God, God is pleased to express to us his pleasure and he draws us in that we might delight ourselves in him. And beloved, in this passage today, we, we have this glimpse of these three men from the book of Genesis, Abel, Enoch, and Noah, and they all have a unique perspective on faith, which we'll look at in just a moment. But if there's one thing that is common across all three of these men, it is that God reveals his delight with these men. Faith pleases God. God is delighted by our faith and our our outward workings of faith. But more than that, beloved, what we're, what we're going to need to see is that faith is actually evidence of his favor. That God gives to us the gift of faith in order to draw us near to himself so that we might delight ourselves in him. Uh, 20th century author Arthur Pink saw in these three men uh, a characteristic outline uh, he's, of, the, of their, the outworking of their faith in, in uh, Abel. He saw faith's worship, uh, in Enoch, faith's walk, and in Noah, faith's witness. And these are all the outworking faithfulness of the inward reality of faith. And we're going to borrow that outline Simply faith's worship, faith's walk, and faith's witness. And so, beloved, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, what I would encourage you to listen for this morning and to hear is that our God calls us to faith, not to stifle our lives or restrict or to take away, but to lavish on us the fullness of joy. We just sang it from Psalm 16. The, the psalmist says to God, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. As we walk in faith and we please our God, he is pleased to give us that pleasure. But if you are in, uh, a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, well, hopefully that this passage will reinforce to you, remind you that the faith that you have is evidence of God's eternal favor that you have in Jesus Christ. So let's begin by looking at Abel and considering faith's worship. True faith worships God. Uh, so it says, By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. So Cain and Abel were the first two children born uh, in Scripture and as these boys grew, Abel became a shepherd. It says he tended sheep and Cain was a farmer. He worked the ground. And both of these young men brought sacrifices. They brought offerings to the Lord. But what's clear in Genesis and affirmed here in Hebrews chapter 11 is that God accepted Abel's, but he rejected Cain's. 
Now, scholars, pastors, teachers have tried to figure out what was the difference between Abel's sacrifice and Cain's sacrifice. That was uh, the determining factor that made God like Abel's over Cain's. I think we can simply say that Abel brought his sacrifice, his worship in faith. A true faith brings heartfelt and sincere and true worship. If we uh, look, if we think back to what it says in Genesis chapter four, it says that Cain brought ah sacrifice. He brought some of the fruit of his ground of the of the, the ground. Well, with Abel, it says he brought the firstborn of his flock, even the fat portions. He brought the best portion. Abel had a faith that helped him to understand who he was worshiping. And that faith cultivated heartfelt worship. No doubt his parents, Adam and Eve, had instructed the boys that God is the creator of all things, even the ones that formed their father out of the dust of the ground and their mother out of their father. And as the creator, he was worthy of their worship. No doubt they enforced or reinforced the fact that God, this same creator God was holy, the one who rightfully, righteously, justly cast them out of his presence because of their sin and, and cast them out of the garden. And these things in Abel's heart helped him to realize that this is a God who is worthy of worship and utmost worship, joyful worship, even the very best. Cain, on the other hand, he wanted to worship God on his own terms. He brought something. And he was angry when God approved of Abel's worship, but not Cain's. And God, in his grace, even approached Cain and said, Why are you angry? If you do the right thing, I'll accept you. I'll accept your worship. But instead of submitting himself by faith, worshiping God with his whole heart, he chose to offer a sacrifice of his brother in hatred, murdering him and uh, putting to death his brother. And it's notable that Abel was commended, our text says, he was commended by his worship, that God commended him. Now, he was not commended by some well done, Abel. This is, this is, you've done the right thing. He was commended by the fact that God accepted his worship. And that's an important thing for us to understand, beloved, is that God, who is our creator and who is holy, must be worshipped as he desires. Worship is for our God. And Scripture tells us how we ought to worship him. And we'll read in Hebrews chapter 12 that let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. God 
will not be worshipped by our own devices in our own ways. He will be worshipped in the way that he calls us to worship. And acceptable worship is by faith. It's by faith. And it's by faith in Christ. We've, we've heard this throughout the book of Hebrews that the only reason why we have a right to come into God's presence is because of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. That he has been the perfect sacrifice who has cleansed us, made us fit to come in God's presence. But if you remember also, shed his blood to purify even God's presence so that we as sinful flesh could come there and worship him. And so now by faith in Christ Jesus, clothed with him, he says, come, draw near, worship me, for I love you. But we must worship by faith, because only in faith can we offer acceptable worship. So we turn from Abel on to the next individual, which is Enoch, and we look at faith's walk True faith walks with God. Now, Enoch is uh, an obscure character. Very brief. We, we read the, the entirety of Enoch's account in those three or four verses from Genesis chapter 5. And the, the sum total of the story is basically this. Enoch had a son named Methuselah. Enoch had other sons and daughters. Enoch walked with God. And then Enoch was not, because God took him. That's the sum total of the account of Enoch from the book of Genesis. Then it says, he he did not taste death, is what our text here in Hebrews 11 says. He didn't taste death because God took him. We see the first glimpse in Scripture that there is something beyond the visible life, that there is a presence with God beyond this life, even an unseen presence. And why did God take Enoch? It says, now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. You might wonder, well, where in the world does the author of Hebrews get that? Because if you remember, what it says in Genesis chapter 5 is that Enoch walked with God. Here he says he pleased God. Well, I'll tell you. In in our copy of the Old Testament, uh, the English version is translated from the Hebrew, the original Hebrew text of the Old Testament. Uh, Sometime before the writing of the New Testament, there were... Uh, contemporary people translated the Greek or Hebrew Old Testament into Greek, into a translation that is called the Septuagint. And this Greek translation of the Old Testament was the copy of the Old Testament that many of the New Testament writers, including the author of Hebrews, seem to refer to. And in that Greek translation of the Old Testament, instead of saying, Enoch walked with God. It said, Enoch pleased God. And here, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the author of Hebrews confirms that fact that God commended Enoch for having pleased God. And that's critical because, he says in verse 6, without faith, it is impossible to please God. And he gives the reasons. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists 
and that he rewards those who seek him. How did Enoch please God? We don't know exactly, but I think we can say, say in one sense, it was because Enoch walked with God. Scripture talks about life as a, a walk. Uh, he who walks with the wise grows wise. A, a, there's a relational component of it. And while Genesis and Hebrews doesn't tell us what exactly characterized Enoch's walk with God, I think we can draw some expectations of what that meant. There was certainly a relational element. If you're going to walk with somebody, you're going to have a relationship with them. You are going to converse with them. You're going to listen to what they have to say. You're going to pay attention to it. You're going to respond to it. You're going to talk back, have a conversation. You're going to heed it. If you are under that, uh, the authority of that individual, you're going to let your life be enriched or changed or redirected by that individual. And I think that's what we can expect from the life of Enoch as he walked with God. God conversed with him. He responded in prayer. It affected the way that he lived. He delighted himself in this relationship. And I think that's the, the life of faith that you and I are called to, beloved. To hear God speak to us his words of love from his word, to pay attention to it, to pray back to him, asking him how to understand these things, how to put them into practice, to delight ourselves in his love for us, to submit ourselves to his word. And all that can only be done by faith, which seems pretty obvious, but our author points it out, that without faith it's impossible to please God because Whoever would draw near must believe that God exists. You can't have a relationship with somebody that you don't believe exists. You can do the outward works of Christianity. You can, you can read God's word without believing that God exists. But it's just a book. You can pray, but you're just talking into the air if you're not Believing you're actually talking to somebody. You're not going to submit to God if you don't believe that he's really called you to things. It says he, if you're going to draw near, you must believe he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And I think we can consider this reward um, in a few different ways. It's interesting that he ties faith to believing that God rewards those who seek him. I think one, one way that we can understand this is that he rewards us by not turning us away. That he actually, God actually welcomes us. He wants us there. He's not some angry, scornful person that says, what are you doing in my presence? But he, he welcomes us there. Um, so the reward of just acceptance. There's also the reward of the blessing of fellowship. We, if we can understand that at God's, in God's presence, there is blessing and there is pleasure and there is joy 
and there is refreshment and rest. And that, re that reward is there for us who draw near. Then it draws us in because we want what God has to offer. So there's believing that he rewards in that way. But there's also the, the belief of an eternal reward, a heavenly reward, that God rewards only those who come in faith to be in his presence forevermore. In fact, all the other ones are glimpses, tastes in this life of the eternal blessedness and the eternal reward that we will have in God's presence. So, beloved, do you believe that, do you truly believe that God exists and that he rewards you for drawing near? Because that will transform everything about how you relate to him. And beloved, we can only walk with God by faith in Jesus Christ. These rewards are only ours in Christ Jesus. It's only because Jesus came and walked perfectly with our God. He was a student of God's word. He was the word of God incarnate. He prayed. He devoted himself to prayer and to fellowship and joy with his Father. He came to reveal the love of the Father. And his walk, his perfect walk, he did for us and is counted to us. And his death on the cross was for us and is counted to us. And even his resurrection and ascension into the heavenly realms is, was for us and is counted to us so that we can receive that eternal reward. And so we must come in faith and we must come in faith in Christ. And the third individual that we see is Noah. And we see this with faith's witness, that true faith bears witness in the midst of the world. Now, we know the story of Noah well. But there's a particular focus that our author gives us with the, the person of Noah. And that is the nature of bringing salvation in the midst of a coming judgment. It says, By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. The Genesis 6 passage tells us that the, the earth had become increasingly wicked, that every thought of the inclination of all mankind was wicked all the time. But in the midst of that, God found favor with Noah. And God told Noah, Noah, build an ark and get in the ark for the salvation from the coming flood. I'm going to wipe out everything, all the animals, the creeping things, the birds, all the people, because I am sorry for what this has become. But you, build an ark, get in. And of course, yeah, the, the animals that he brought in, that's part of our Sunday school lessons. But what we need to pay attention to is that also, and primarily, it was his family that joined him in the ark. He built the ark, it says, for the saving of his household. And in that act of faith of Noah, there's a number of important things that we need to see. The first thing is that he was acting by faith of events unseen. It says, 
by faith being Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen. The skies were blue. The people were happy. The economy was booming. People were getting married. Everything was happy. And God said, I am bringing judgment. Build an ark. And God gave Noah the faith to see what he was declaring was actually true. And he built an ark even though the events were as yet unseen. Secondly, it says that Noah, in reverent fear, constructed the ark. That faith that Noah had was reverence and fear, recognizing that God, the holy God, was indeed bringing the judgment that he declared. That unless Noah heeded God's warning, that he too would be swept away by the flood. The third thing was that uh, he, Noah accepted God's means of salvation. It said that he built an ark. He constructed an ark. Notice, Noah didn't build a, a storm shelter. He didn't uh, take his family and travel to the top of Mount Ararat, where the ark would eventually sit to get on high ground to be protected from the flood, God said, build an ark. The ark is the means of salvation. That is what you must build. And Noah got to work on an ark. And the fourth is that his actions brought about salvation. Noah's actions brought about salvation. God told Noah, build the ark. And then you put your family in that ark. His family was saved through his obedience and through his faith. And last, there was a dual testimony of his actions. It says that by this, Noah condemned the world, that's one side, and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. He condemned the world. He acknowledged that the world was to be destroyed. And by building that ark, he was acknowledging that he needed to be saved from that destruction. And on the other side, he was choosing the righteousness that God was offering through the salvation in the ark. And beloved, true faith bears witness Because, beloved, God has warned us. He has warned us of a coming judgment, of something that is yet unseen. The Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew 24 said, just as in the days of Noah, when they were marrying and being getting married, so it will be when the in the coming of the Son of Man. The Son of Man will come in his glory, and he will judge the nations. And he will bring a new heavens and a new earth. And all those who are not in Christ Jesus, who have not bowed the knee to Christ, will be judged forever and ever. They will not be swept away by a flood of water, but by fire and by the the judgment, the just judgment of our God. Um, Scripture also says that it, it will come like a thief in the night when people are proclaiming peace and security, so will God's judgment come, just like in the days of Noah. They will not escape. 
Second Peter says that the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But beloved, faith heeds God's warning and believes it and runs for refuge in the means of salvation that God's provided. And more than that, beloved, it bears witness to the coming judgment, which is important for us to hear, beloved, because so often we lament our struggle with sharing our faith in Jesus Christ, in encouraging others to put their faith in Christ for salvation. And we use the language of fear as though it is a fear issue. I don't know what to say. I don't want to say the wrong thing. Or maybe they, maybe they will be offended by what I have to say. But beloved, it's not a fear issue. It is a faith issue. Do you believe, as God declares, that the Son of Man is coming to judge? And that do you believe that only Jesus Christ will save you from that coming judgment? Let me put it this way. If you were at a pool and there was a child who was drowning in the pool, I assure you, you wouldn't stand there and say, well, you know, my lifeguard training is not up to snuff. I better let somebody who's properly qualified save that individual. You wouldn't say, I don't, I don't want to offend that child's parents by getting in there. You know, maybe the, kid, maybe the parents are okay with that. You would jump in and drag that child out of the pool to safety. And beloved, our God has declared to us the only means of salvation is Jesus Christ. How can we not bear witness with all of our heart? <laughs> True faith accepts what God has declared about things yet unseen and leads others to the only means of salvation. And as we look at those three men, beloved, we see those three different unique aspects of faith, which are the outworkings, the faithful external outworkings of a heart of faith, but there is a common thread among all three of them, isn't there? And the common thread, beloved, is that God was pleased with all three of them. Faith pleases God. In fact, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Abel had a pleasant offering which he offered to God. God accepted it as pleasing. Enoch pleased God, and God took him to be with himself. And in Genesis 6, God says that he was, that, that Noah found favor in God's eyes. But beloved, remember, faith is a gift. Faith is a gift. And if it's impossible to please God without faith, we have to understand that and if faith is a gift, that means that God was pleased to give us faith so that he could be pleased with what we do. Because what separated Cain and Abel? What separated Cain and Abel was that God had given Abel faith to cling 
to Christ, to cling to the hope of Christ, and to offer an acceptable sacrifice. What, what's, what made Enoch walk with God? It was the faith that God had given to him. What made Noah believe God's warning and to seek refuge? It was the faith that God had given to him. God was pleased to give these men faith so that that faith would work itself out in a way that pleased God and drew them near to himself in a pleasing faithfulness. And beloved, the same is true for you. The same is true for you. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, then what you need to know is that that is a gift that God gave to you because he was pleased to give you that gift. Not from anything that you did. You didn't have faith before you had faith. Your faith didn't work faith. God gave you faith so that you would cling to Christ and you would cling to God as your salvation. And through that working in you, he is pleased with you. This is love, not that God, not that we love God, but that God loved us. And the same thing can be, do, can be said about God's pleasure. This is the pleasure of God, not that we pleased him, but while we were yet sinners, God gave us faith so that we could cling to him and be a pleasing aroma to him. Beloved, it is God who works in you to will and to work according to his good pleasure. And if you look at these three men and you say, well, you know, yeah, but those Abel, Enoch, Noah, those, those are guys that were counted in Scripture as having pleased God. I don't know that that's true about me. You need to heed what the Lord Jesus Christ said. When he was talking about John the Baptist, he said, there was nobody that's ever been born of a woman that was greater than John the Baptist. John the Baptist was greater than even these three men. But he said, the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than these. And beloved, that, that is you and me. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, that is evidence of God's pleasure in you. And that you ought to run to him and to grow in that faith so, and walk in it so that you can please him with your life. And we talked about Psalm 16, about how God's right hand are pleasures forevermore, but Psalm 43 also says that the Lord has become my exceeding joy. That because God is pleased with us by his sovereign pleasure, we get to delight ourselves in him. And so, beloved, I need to ask you, do you know the Lord as your joy? Is he your joy? If not, then you can know for certain, because this is God's holy word, apart from faith, you cannot please God. Even your best intentions, your best works, apart from faith, they do not please God. Only by coming in faith in Jesus Christ, out of love for God, can you ever have a hope for pleasing him. But here's the good news, beloved, is that God offers you faith. He says, receive the gift of faith. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. 
and that faith that you receive is evidence that God loves you and takes delight in you. And that's what we're here to, to declare this morning. God delights to shower you with his love. And if you have faith in Christ, beloved, rejoice because that's evidence that God has loved you from all eternity and in the course of time has given you the eyes to see the beauty of Jesus Christ and to walk by faith and know that the works you do by faith, which God has prepared in advance for you to do, they are pleasing to him that you will hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. So how do we know, how do we feel the Lord's pleasure? It can't be by any other way than by faith. It's by recognizing that God has taken pleasure in us. And out of that mere good pleasure, receiving that gift of faith, we draw near to him, we walk in faith, and we delight ourselves day after day after day as we feast on the joy and the love of our God. Beloved, God delights. There's no scorn. There's no indifference. God delights in you. He dances over you. He rejoices over you with singing. That's what Scripture says. You are his treasured possession. And he delights to draw you near. So let us, let us draw near to him with joy and gladness and singing. And this we will do by the power and the spirit of him who died for us to bring us to our God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your amazing and unmerited love. We, we know that there is nothing in us that deserves your love and your affection, and yet you have been so kind to us to turn your face towards us, to smile upon us, to send your spirit to quicken us, even to give us life. Thank you for your son who didn't just merely come to pay the penalty for our sins and to reconcile us to you, but also sent his spirit to dwell in us, a spirit of faith that we might walk in that. Would you, would you just, Lord, help us to grow in that faith and that faithfulness? We want to please you. We want to be pleased by you. We want to delight in you for all eternity. And so we pray that you would do these things out of your great love for us. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.